Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to the Yield Mastermind Talks podcast. With your host, Philip Randazzo. And we are live. What is going on? Yield Mastermind Talks podcast. Of course, this is your host, Philip Randazzo. Thank you guys for tuning in today. We have a fantastic, exclusive, one-on-one interview. And guys, I'm really pumped about this interview because it it takes on a different flavor than we're used to. Uh, It is a guest that actually I've known for quite some time. Uh, Me and him went to the same high school in Las Vegas and... You know, I caught up with him and I saw, man, he's doing some really awesome things. I'll just share this story really quickly about how I came to to hear of what he was up to. So I'm cruising through Facebook as most of us do, and I'm I'm very bad at it. I, I probably, you know, it's one of my things to, to not be on social media as much, but sometimes you just get caught in the trap. But luckily this day I was and uh, cruising through and I see this video that uh, my friend had posted. And so I clicked on the video and man, it's super professionally done and I'm like, holy crap, this is really awesome. Like whoever's doing this, this hike the divide thing, man, this is cool. And then the camera pans up and it's it's my my buddy Connor. And I'm like, no way that, you know, this guy's taking on this incredible, incredible journey to really share stories of people who are who are actively seeking to change and, and to make positive change. And so, guys, I'm super excited to bring you my interview and my conversation really with with my friend Connor Devane. I'm going to get into his bio now. So Connor is the founder and editor of HikeTheDivide.com. He is a long distance hiker, writer, and activist based in Portland, Oregon. He successfully hiked the entire length of the Pacific Crest Trail in 2014, which is something like 2,660 miles. For those of you who, who have ever done a hike before, I kind of uh, cringe at, at the idea of a five-mile hike, and uh, and this guy was hiking with him and a buddy for, for months and months. I think he said it took him something like five months, but in 2016, he will be hiking the 2,700-mile Continental Divide Trail and collecting stories from the climate movement in the states the trail traverses. Guys, as you can see, different different sort of an interview, but nonetheless, great quality stuff. Connor is someone who really he talks about it in the interview, the 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 convergence of passion uh, and just really being in line with what he's doing. You can tell when he talks about this stuff that he truly 100% believes it and he's 100% behind this stuff. And something that he wanted me to make sure that I that I put in this, this intro, because I always record these things after we talk so I can share a couple goodies with you guys from the show itself to get you kind of primed and pumped up for this stuff. But he wanted to, to make sure that you guys knew, I mean, he, he's going to be hiking in very, very crazy crazy um, terrain and he's going to be for the most part you know in wild territory that most people have not uh, walked before and but he wanted me to let you guys know he is going to be in contact with us he's going to be going in and out of towns to to resupply on food and post the stuff he's doing he's going to be conducting interviews all sorts of good stuff you guys are going to hear it all on this exclusive interview with my man Connor Devane guys please enjoy you are listening to the yield mastermind talks podcast enjoy the show 
Today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Fuel 101, the six steps to take you from where you are to where you want to go. This is one of those books that basically takes all the things that are being shared on the podcast, puts them into a practical, applicable form, applicable kind of framework that's going to allow you to pursue your passions, dreams, goals, whatever it is you're trying to accomplish in your life at this point in time. It's going to take that, put it into a framework, and help you get there. And just for tuning into the show, go to the Rocket Fuel 101 in numbersbook.com, the Rocket Fuel 101book.com. Put the book in the cart, type in promo code PODCAST. Once you get to the checkout, you are going to receive 25% off any and all purchases from that site just for tuning into the podcast. Again, go to the therocketfuel101book.com, buy the book, enter promo code PODCAST. You're going to receive 25% off any and all purchases. This is one of those books that's literally going to transform your thinking. You can see a bunch of testimonials on the site. There's some informational videos and a bunch of goodies there. Check that stuff out. See for yourself what the hype is all about. You want to get yourself a copy. Don't be late to this party. Again, promo code podcast is going to get you 25% off any and all purchases. And I'm just going to say now, enjoy the book because we know you will. Connor, how's it going? It's going real well. How about you, Philip? It's going fantastic, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Excited to be here. Fantastic. All right. So, Connor, uh, real quick, I mean, I'm sure uh, we probably have a lot of listeners who do know you that just because we went to the same high school, grew up in Las Vegas. But for those who don't know you and what you're up to, if you wouldn't mind just kind of giving us the bullet point backstory uh, that's kind of led you on this journey to where you are today. Sure. So um, I am a long distance hiker. I graduated from college in 2014 and five days later started my through hike of the Pacific Crest Trail from the border of Mexico to the border of Canada um, in Washington. And after I finished the PCT, I moved to Portland, Oregon. And since living here, I've become very involved with climate change activism. And uh, that's pretty much what steered me down the path of what I'm working on now. Fantastic. So I think it's hilarious that five days after you graduated, you end up doing this hike, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's 2,600 or 2,700 miles. Yeah, it's uh, just shy of 2,700. It's like a 2,668.9, something like that. Good Lord. So what what draws a person to want to do that? I mean, give us the details and kind of tell us the story of, of how you came to, to be taking on uh, that adventure so soon after graduating. Sure. Well, so um, it was, you know, senior year of college, I'm about to graduate with an English degree with a focus in writing. So, you know, I don't have like a clear defined path post-college. You know, I kind of faced with uh, limitless possibilities, Uh if you will. I was sitting at home one day working on some homework and uh, one of my housemates and best friends like busts into my room. He's like, Connor, I'm going to hike the Camino de Santiago in Spain this summer. Do you want to come with me? (laughs) I was like, well, that's a pretty big decision. Let me think about it. So I did a little research and, you know, the first thing I found was an article, like a blog post from this guy who said, 
Uh, he listed a few positives, but the title of the article was 10 Reasons Why the Camino de Santiago Sucks. <laughs> and, you know, I know better than to base my own opinion off one source, but I read through it and everything this guy said resonated with me. He was saying like, <laughs> so much of the walk is like 95% of it's on the road. You sleep in a bed almost every night. There are you know thousands of people. And it just didn't sound like my idea of a pilgrimage, you know, and I was yeah. thinking if I'm going to be spending all that money and all that time just walking, I would rather do something that's got, you know, a lot more opportunity for solitude and will put me in much closer communion with nature. Um, and so I said to him, and uh, it's funny because I misspoke. I said, like, if I'm going to do that, I'm just going to stay here and hike the Pacific Coast Trail, meaning the Pacific Crest Trail. And, you know, I had no idea what I was talking about. I'd never been on a real backpacking trip before. I was just kind of like, you know, in this, this uh, like, fork in the road in my life where finishing the structure of high school, college, and then the blank space of whatever I did after that. Uh, um, and it just seemed like such an exciting and you know, totally novel opportunity for me. And, you know, I just dove headfirst into it. And like two months later, I was hiking. That's, that is awesome. So it all stemmed from your buddy just trying to get you to, to go on a hike with him in Spain. And all of a sudden, here you are. So how long does, does a 2,660-mile hike of a trail, how long does that take you? And, you know, how do you, where, where are you sleeping in a tent? What does that whole process look like? So it took me uh, just shy of five months. And, you know, so that's averaging, you know, not including days off, that's averaging like, you know, 20 to 25 miles a day. Wow. And I did carry a tent. Um, but one of the nice things about that particular trail during the summer and uh, early fall is you don't run into too much rain until like northern Washington. Uh, so most nights it was, you know, just throwing out the sleeping pad, the sleeping bag, sleeping under the stars. And if it was raining or there were a lot of mosquitoes, something like that, throw the tent up. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so was this hike, uh, you did it by yourself or did this friend join you? What what did that look like? So I hiked with a, a different friend, actually. that The guy who wanted me to go to Spain with him ended up doing that. And uh, after he finished that, he joined my friend Andrew and me uh, in Northern California on the Pacific Crest Trail. It was kind of funny, you know, I was I was expecting to do it alone, but you know, it was pretty much untreaded water for me. So I, you know, put a post on Facebook and I said, like, this is what I'm doing after graduation. Does anyone want to come with me? And like ten people <laughs> responded positively and I kind of knew that they were not serious. Yeah. And uh, one friend of mine who I actually played in a band with in college uh, said, like, oh, you know, that sounds like something I've always wanted to do. I'll do the California section with you. And uh, on the first day of leaving north from the Mexican border, he decided he wanted to do the whole thing. And, uh, you know, he, we ended up sticking together the whole time, which was a surprise to both of us, I think, because we weren't that close of friends beforehand. And. Now I don't think that there's any other friend I could, you know, hike for that long in the company of, you know, I have other friends that I think, you know, best friends in the world, but. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that takes it to a whole nother level spending five yeah. months day in and day out with the, with the same person. That's awesome. So, um, now what, so this all fantastic stuff, but you also have this environmental side to what you're doing. So 
if you could just talk to what was like the first event where you were really called to to really take action in terms of, you know, taking a, a more positive look at, at how we can help change the environment or, or even take it back to what was the first thing you saw in the news or the first realization that you had where you were like, man, something's wrong and we got to do something to to figure this out. Well, you know, um, environmental issues and like human rights issues around the world were always on my radar. Um, but, you know, I hadn't even really dipped a toe in until college. I was kind of just watching from the beach, uh, if you will. Yeah. And when I was in college, I had a particular professor who, you know, whether he knew it or not, kind of filled a mentor role for me. And, you know, I took a bunch of different classes with him. And one of them was an environmental ethics class. And, you know, through the course of studying in that class, um, learned a lot of hard truth, um, both about like the philosophical ethics behind what we are doing uh, to the planet and also the data side, you know, like the hard numbers that are coming from climatologists about, you know, the amounts of greenhouse gases that we're putting into the environment, you know, the feedback loops that, that we're playing into on and on and on. And um, so a group of students, including myself, you know, felt compelled because of this class to take action. And we went to our professor and we're like, what can we do? And he steered us towards, um, you know, things we could do on campus. And we revived a club that had fallen out of, uh, like, you know, no one was running it anymore called yeah. Eco Students. And started a divestment campaign trying to get our university to remove their invested endowment from the fossil fuel industry, mm -hmm. you know, on the grounds for one that uh, if it's if it's wrong to wreck the planet, then it's equally wrong to profit off of that wreckage. And from a more economical side, um, the argument that, you know, there is a carbon bubble, like, you know, whether it happens in the next year or 10 years, it is inevitable that we will switch to a renewable energy grid and all of the invested, you know, money in the fossil fuel industry will have to face the stranded assets of, you know, the coal left in the ground, the natural gas left in the ground. And so it's just, you know, it's a risky investment and not wise for our institution to be putting their money into it. And that was when I was first really getting involved and, uh, you know, while I was hiking on the PCT, you know, my beliefs were cemented about, or my conviction rather, not belief, um, about like the planetary interdependency of the biotic web. Like, you know, we have this false sense of the human world and the natural world when in reality, like anything you want to talk about human life cannot exist without you know, predictable, reliable weather patterns and a four inch layer of topsoil and carbon sinks like old growth forests that produce oxygen for us. You know, these are mm -hmm. things that are prerequisite for any human activity and we just take them for granted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Keep going. If you have more, more to add to that, I was just going to pitch in and say, I mean, I'm, I'm totally on board with what you're saying. I think once you get that understanding that, that things move in unison with each other. I, I remember when I, I first became certified as a holistic lifestyle coach and just looking at the way that human beings were meant to to live and the way that we're meant to eat and we're not meant to eat all these processed garbage foods and all that stuff, I really got introduced to 
the way that everything moves in unison. So I, I was just gonna gonna chime in and say, man, I'm I'm so on board with what you're saying because it's so true. We we need everything needs everything. You know, nothing can work or move without you know the everything else being in place. Absolutely. Um, and you know the the that became most clear to me when I was you know, living the life of a through hiker, which I like to refer to as being human again, because, you know, your, your whole day to day is wake up, eat food, find water to drink, like naturally occurring sources of water, um, you know, hike and find shelter for yourself. These are just like the basic essential activities of being human or being an, you know, an animal on the planet earth mm-hmm. really. But, um, you know, when you're hiking through these super barren deserts and realizing that there's a wealth of life, that has evolved to live under those conditions. And though they seem harsh or inhospitable to humans, they're like perfect conditions for certain types of life that are in turn, you know, conducive to the flourishing of other ecosystems and they all, you know, depend on one another. But anyway, so after, you know, there was no, after that was fully cemented in my brain and I moved to Portland, um, after I finished the hike, I experienced something that most through hikers report experiencing, which is this sort of disillusionment, even disenchantment with, you know, the world of modern society. And you're overstimulated. You go from having no stimuli other than like, you know, the rocks, the trees, the birds, <laughs> to having, you know, things advertising at you literally all the time, flashing colors, everything. So many people, it's very overwhelming. And, you know, people will hike the trail. You know, it's it's a lot of different things for a lot of different people. But a friend of mine once said he thinks that everyone out there is on some sort of personal or spiritual quest, whatever it means to them. Hmm. And um, most people, including myself, find that, you know, an activity like through hiking or really any endeavor you take upon yourself is not going to answer any big questions for you, but it will give you a new perspective and space to consider them from. Um, and so, you know, while I was hiking, I got better perspective on myself, what was meaningful to me, what would be conducive to me achieving like fulfillment in my life. And, you know, moving into a major metropolitan city surrounded by people who I care about, but don't share necessarily share those same perspectives or ideals. It's, it's very hard to reconcile when you're not used to even talking to anyone for like three days at a time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I kind of found solace in the environmental movement or rather the climate movement here in Portland. Um, And I want to make that distinction because climate change is not, though it's always painted this way, it's not an environmental problem. It's, it's not even really a problem if we're speaking accurately. It's closer to like turning up the difficulty setting on a video game. Um, you know, it's like a way we speak collectively about the changes to our planetary conditions that exacerbate all the problems we have to deal with. Um, but so, you know, there's a really strong community here in the Pacific Northwest and um I kind of dove headfirst into it this past July uh, when there was a blockade of Royal Dutch Shell's Fenica icebreaking ship. Um, It had returned to the port of Portland for repairs. 
and a bunch of impassioned climate activists saw an opportunity to prevent that ship from leaving Portland in order to prevent Shell from drilling in hypersensitive areas of the Arctic in the Chukchi Sea. Hmm. Um, and, you know, so I, I was... I was in a kayak during that whole ordeal. I don't oh know if you goodness. saw anything about that in the news. I did not. Back in July, um, there were 13 Greenpeace activists who suspended themselves from a bridge, the St. John's Bridge in North Portland. Oh my and, goodness. you know, hundreds of people in kayaks attempting to prevent this ship from leaving Portland in order to delay, you know, the drilling for oil in the Arctic, which... You know, if you look at the record of Arctic drilling, um, you know, it's not good. And an oil spill in that sensitive an area would be absolutely disastrous, not to mention the impact on the climate of burning all of that oil after it's been extracted. But so in that whole experience, you know, the, you know, the first night there was, we didn't know about the Greenpeace activists. It was just a bunch of people, two in the morning at Cathedral Park in North Portland, getting ready to paddle out on the river pretty much having already accepted that we're going to be reprimanded by the Coast Guard or in the Sheriff's Department. Um, and, you know, within 20 minutes of that, we start seeing these lights come down off of the bridge. And no one's really sure what it is at first. And someone has a pair of binoculars and we can tell that, it, you know, there are people suspending themselves from the bridge. We eventually get word that there are people from Greenpeace and we paddle out there. And just like the feeling of solidarity of having, you know, people from my community, from all walks of life, these aren't people who identify as environmentalists. You know, these are teachers, nurses, firefighters, just people from, you know, all backgrounds coming together and putting themselves in a compromising situation simply to stand up for what they see as the right thing to do. Um, was just crazy empowering and I've never felt that kind of camaraderie before. Um, so that was pretty much the, the turning point that locked me into activism. Yeah. And man, that that just painted the, the most uh, crazy picture in my head. And I, you know, it got me thinking like, why do you, and this, you know, this is just the question that just came to me. Why do you think some of these types of things, and I shouldn't even say some, all of these types of, of situations don't get any sort of news or media coverage? Like you just asked me, uh, did I hear anything about that? And, you know, something that, that has that big of an impact on a specific area, you know, for me not to even have been made aware of it. And I feel like this is something that happens to people all the time. And I know just from from following you on, on the different social media channels and, and, you know, seeing what you're up to, you're always posting about things that are going on that literally I am not seeing anywhere else. So, you know, do, do you have a kind of a theory or do you do you, uh, maybe have a, a, a reasoning as to why these things aren't being given the coverage that they should be given? Well, um, I'll try not to get derailed too much, like, uh, you know, ranting about media. But yeah. um, I mean, a big part of it is that most of the media sources that we have access to are, you know, private entities. They're structured in a way to generate profit. So they need to push stories that will generate viewership. And, you know, they the stories that they're going for are intended to, like, you know, keep their audience 
and have some sort of shock value, but they also need to not like displease um, the people who are funding them. And it's uh, definitely a reality that many of our major media outlets are funded by either directly by the fossil fuel industry or through um, foundations that are in turn funded by the fossil fuel industry. So generally when things are happening that go against, you know, the economic development of the strongest industry human civilization has ever had, the fossil fuel industry, yeah. they're not going to get too much airtime. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and, and that makes, that makes a lot of sense because it's so true. You know, we, and, and I like that you, you mentioned shock value because I think a part of news is uh, almost just there to entertain. It's and a lot of it is very negative and it has a lot of, a lot of the, the scare, you know, tactics involved as well, just to, to keep you kind of uh, tuning in to see what's going on because people are afraid and because it, it has this, you know, this shock value to it. Um, and I think it's really unfortunate because these are things that people should be hearing about, you know, and it's a story of a bunch of people getting together and, you know, these two groups that kind of combine forces, like you mentioned, for the same common goal to, to basically help people and, and save this planet that we live on. I think it's an incredible story, and I wish we could hear more stories about that. And I'm really looking forward uh, to you keeping us all updated on this this journey that you're on when you hike the divide. But before we get into that part, I want to ask you, what was what were some of the most difficult things or what was maybe the one or two most difficult um, situations for you on your first hike when you did this uh, this Pacific Crest Trail? What were some of the things that were, I mean, you didn't see coming and, and were very, very difficult for you to face? Um, I would, the most difficult was probably um, a physical challenge, actually. Um, on my first day, I met this guy who, his trail name, so people who do like hike the whole trail or at least attempt will be given trail names, like a nickname basically. So I met this guy named Walrus on the first day and it was 115 degrees. We're only like seven or eight miles into the 2,600. Um, and we're hanging out like under the shade of an overhanging rock, just trying to stay cool. And he's talking to my friend Andrew and me and he asks if we had trained for the hike at all. And I was like, no, I didn't do any training, but like literally a week ago, I just wrapped out, wrapped up my like fourth consecutive season of being a collegiate athlete. So I'm in decent shape right now. I'm not too concerned about it. And he kind of just chuckled and he said, you know, the only way to train for walking up and down mountains is to walk up and down mountains. <laughs> and uh, that's, I mean, it proved to be totally true. I ended up developing tendonitis in both of my um, iliotibial bands, like the IT bands. Um, you know, and I felt all the pain in my knees. So I had like 200 miles of thinking maybe I had like, you know, blown out my menisci or something. And, uh, you know, the reality was just that I wasn't like flexible in the right ways or enough. And I had, and I took a week off and I saw, um, a physical therapist and, you know, for a few more hundred miles, I had, you know, pretty bad pain in my legs to the point where some nights, like, it would keep me awake. Mm. And uh, so that eventually passed. And uh, not long after was the other biggest challenge, which was um, a mental challenge. And it's funny, like, uh, a lot of hikers, when they hit Northern California on the PCT, uh, end up leaving the trail. 
because you know you you've hiked the 700 miles of desert you've hiked the four or five hundred miles or so of the sierra nevada and the high sierra and in the you know in in the sierra nevada you get accustomed after having to carry water for 30 miles at a time in the desert you're used to finding water like every mile or two and you never have to carry it and everything is just stunningly beautiful and then you drop down into northern california and it's hot again and it's like what do you mean i have a 21 mile waterless stretch and i have to carry <laughs> 5 liters of water and i'm not going to see anything but tree like trees today like i don't get out on a single ridge and see like one sweeping view and you're like you know especially having just finished college and not having any hard obligations at the time you know I was like, I could be, you know, sitting in a hammock somewhere with a book and a beer, and instead I'm just walking all day, <laughs> every day. Um, but I mean, that too passed, and you know, he just he like came to realize that like the the challenge and struggle aspect is what makes the good parts better and worthwhile. Yeah, and and so my next question for you was going to be, what were what were some of the the biggest, you know, improvements or developments or realizations that you came to learn about yourself um, while on this PCT trail? Um, well, I mean, it definitely helped me to cultivate um, more patience with myself and um, that, you know, per personal growth and development does not function on the pattern of here's a problem here's a solution check it off the list you know it's, it's a constant ongoing lifelong project you know you're always trying to be the best human you can be whatever that means to you and you know everybody grows in different ways and has different goals and different skill sets and you know just to be more comfortable uh with myself and um other than that I definitely was humbled by the trail, which is always good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it was in some ways easier than I thought, but in a lot of ways it was more difficult than I expected. And uh, lastly, and maybe most importantly, it just really um, allowed me to be in the present moment. Like I felt, you know, you feel so much presence when all you're, you know, you, all you're thinking about is your breath and whether, you know, you're going to see a lake over the next ridge and you just stop there and you take in all the beauty and you're like, wow, this is amazing. This is what life is all about. And then you just keep walking and you're like, well, this moment's just as good. And the next lake is going to be just as good. And the next uphill is going to be just as hard, but the view from there is going to be just as good. <laughs> Yeah. And man, that's such a great point. And that's something that we just, uh, it's funny you bring that up. Something we just hit on at the yield mastermind group, um, is the power of being present and how, you know, I'm sure you've, you've since realized, and I'm probably even before this, because this is something that our society struggles with in a huge way is that people are so, uh, you know, anxious about their futures, they're projecting into the future or they're reliving things that have happened in the past. People have such a hard time just being present and, I think it has a lot to do with, you know, something that you hit on earlier, all this stimulus that we have and the social medias and, the, you know, we're, we're always striving to do all these, these man, you know, man created, man built things that, that aren't really um, in line with, you know, human nature. And so uh, I think just the ability to, to learn that is a huge, huge deal. And so let's kind of 
transition into this, you know, continental divide trail that you're about to embark on 3,100 miles. So how did this whole thing come about? And I'm sure you had an instance where you, you know, you came back to, to civilization and, and wanted to get back on another trail, but just kind of fill us in on, you know, how this whole thing came about when you're taken off and, and, uh, what the journey is going to look like. Yeah. Okay. So, well, first, so there's, on the Pacific Crest Trail, there's like a one hard-defined trail, and some people even have a sense of purity where, like, you don't want to, you know, stray from the path at all. You have to hike the whole the whole thing, like step by step. And on the Continental Divide Trail, that doesn't really exist. So there's the Continental Divide National Scenic Trail that was um, dedicated by Congress in the '70s, and that. That's 3,100 miles, but a good portion of that goes through private land. Some of it's like road walking. So the route that most hikers take is actually 2,700 miles, and that's what I'll gotcha. be doing. Um, you know, favoring mountain passes over highway rest stops. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so you know, I was in Portland, and I was enjoying my like newfound community with everyone working in the climate movement and that was great, but I've also been working full time, um, in like doing customer service at a local market and, you know, to, in order to support my, you know, living in a house and eating well mm -hmm. all while working on the things I was passionate about, which, you know, like, so like the biggest environmental organizations, like their chapters in Portland, you know, will have hundreds, thousands of members, but they're all volunteers and there's like one paid employee. <laughs> so all of the climate work that I was doing was on my own time as a volunteer. And so I needed this, uh, you know, job to support myself. And I was just like overstimulated by having, you know, like a, hundreds of little micro interactions with people. And it, it, you know, I would feel like brain dead after work. And as a result, I felt I wasn't able to fully commit my whole self to the cause. And so, you know, my initial reaction was immediately like, all right, go to the trail, just go hike another trail. Um, but you know, that kind of felt a little bit like running away, you know, it felt like the easy way out and un unrealistic. So I had to ask myself, how can I align my passions without being selfish or without compromising my morals? And I realized that the three things I'm most passionate about are storytelling, hiking, and, you know, dealing with and trying to mitigate the climate crisis. So I thought right then, okay, I'm going to hike the Continental Divide Trail and I'm going to document my journey and somehow I'm going to weave a narrative about climate change. So I needed to decide what kind of story I wanted to tell. How could I tell a compelling, truthful, and relatable, like truly human story? You know, and how can I reach an audience that was more broad than the echo chamber of environmentalism? You know, like what we talked about how you know, the people who are attuned to these news stories are the people who are hearing them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not reaching the people who aren't already paying attention. And, um, you know, okay, so the hike will engage an audience a little broader because it's not every day that someone's walking from one end of the country to the other no, along the Rocky not. Mountains and like <laughs> grizzly bear territory and stuff. Um, so, you know, that'll, that'll reel a few people in, but how can I keep them engaged to like, if the problem already, like, you know, so, okay, so we know climate change is happening. We know it's happening here and now, you know, there's, there is no debate between climatologists and scientists 
the media likes to portray it that way. It's just not true. That's like, you know, you can't believe or disbelieve in climate change. It's a matter of conviction. It'd be like saying you don't believe in gravity. It doesn't matter whether you believe in it or not. It's there. Yeah. Um, and so I had to think about what is causing the current narratives, the current way we communicate about climate change. What about them is not effective? And I realized, like what you said about the media, there's a common theme. All of it's negative. We hear about mass extinctions. We hear about a new study that shows that another ice shelf on Antarctica is melting. And if it completely broke off and melted, sea level would rise by like 10 meters. And this is what all the cities on the coasts of the world would look like underwater. And it's all very depressing. And it kind of beats people down into uh, apathy. It creates this false sense of like, you know, this is already done and over with. And, you know, it isolates people like, okay, so we know what the problem is, but what can I individually do about it? Um, so, I mean, my whole, the whole project, Hike the Divide, is centered around creating a positive narrative of change, positive change. And so I, you know, look to my own experiences here in the Pacific Northwest of success stories. You know, if more people heard about our blockade of Shells Fenica, or even more importantly, this past November, due to, you know, civilian Portlander demand, the city council passed a resolution to ban all new fossil fuel infrastructure within the city limits of Portland. That means no storage facilities, no refineries, no pipelines, nothing. Um, you know, like if people hear about people power winning over, you know, the biggest industry in the world, or, you know, if someone would hear about a liquefied natural gas terminal that was proposed in Washington and the corporation behind it had a $5 million budget that was strictly allocated to making sure that that facility was constructed. And then you have a team of volunteer organizers who are just community members simply standing up for the land that they love, for the health of themselves and their community members and winning. And, you know, that facility isn't built. Like those are the kind of stories people need to hear. Um, There's one in particular I'd like to talk about that was from a few years ago. Um, you may have heard that in a few months ago, President Obama finally, you know, put the nail in the coffin of the Keystone XL pipeline. It was rejected, at least mm-hmm. the southern proposed leg. Um, you know, it's not going to be finished. And this has been such a huge battle for the climate movement for such a long time. And, you know, it seems through the way the story is told that you know, this is like another accolade for President Obama's legacy. But in reality, if it had been you know, stopped by merit of his actions, it would have been rejected five years ago. It's been years and years of building public pressure from people all over the country standing up and demanding change. And in particular, there was something called the Cowboy Indian Alliance, where a group of uh, Midwestern ranchers and um, Native community members in the area rode on Washington, D.C. together on horseback to demand the end of the Keystone Pipeline. You know, when you think of, you know, the the, the, the naming was intentional. When you think of cowboys and Indians, you yeah. think of adversaries, you think of an enemy narrative. 
And here you have two groups of, you know, pretty distinctly different people, not unifying, but setting aside their differences to cooperate for a collective good, you know, and like that kind of story, the kind of thing that would make people say, wow, I never believed that would happen. And it was just everyday people. Like, you know, those are the kind of stories that are going to effect change in the future. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's, you're so spot on. And, and that's why I'm so excited to see what you can do through this journey that you're on, because it, it really does need to be a, a change of narrative. And I love that you are putting, you know, this positive change into effect, because those are the stories that people really do need to hear and rally around, because you, you hit it so perfectly when you were talking earlier about, you know, everything with regard to the climate change and, cl- and the climate movement is so negative and in you do have this sense, or at least, you know, people like myself have this sense of, okay, well, it's already so far gone and there's 7 billion plus people on the planet. And, you know, what, what can I do to make a difference? And so you taking this positive approach and sharing these stories along your journey, I believe is really going to help affect change. And so I commend you for that, man. I, I really appreciate um, what you're doing and the reasons you're doing it. I think I think it's really going to help put some perspective in in people who follow what you're doing. And real quick, before we get into the the rapid fire portion of the show, I wanna I wanna ask you in it. So first of all, guys, for for all of you listening, you have to go to hikethedivide.com, and we're gonna I'm sure Connor's gonna hit on that, but he has this really awesome video on the on the main page. And one of the quotes that you have in this video is, "We are the people we've been waiting for." And as I was watching the video, that really resonated with me. And if you wouldn't mind, Connor, just going a little deeper into what you mean by that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so unfortunately, that's not a line I can take credit for. It's been used by a lot of you know really great people, including uh, John F. Kennedy, actually. Um, but you know, it's you know we like to compartmentalize things. And be like, okay, climate change—it's a scientific problem or it's a political problem. You know, this is what we have trained scientists and elected officials for. It's their problem to deal with. And, you know, the reality, just as it always has been for every issue that, you know, humanity is faced with, is that it's 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 falling on our shoulders to deal with. And, you know, this is a, a challenge that we can either rise up to meet, we can change willingly, or we can be changed by it. And, I mean, I can say with unwavering confidence that one of those futures looks a lot better than the other. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, you know, people power always wins, you know? So when you t- think of like a huge, like a, basically a, you know, a revolution of thought, you have people of every background. It's not even, it's like a, it's not a leaderless movement so much as everyone involved in it is a leader. Man, I, I think that's a great distinction because when when you have a bunch of people acting as leaders getting together, I mean, the level of change that can happen, and like like you said, it does happen when people do get together. I think it's it, it it's it's exponential in regards to a movement that has you know one figurehead and people sort of just kind of back this person. I think when everyone's acting, and and, and here's the deal with everything that we've been talking about today. I mean. I think you just alluded to it perfectly there at the end is, you know, one of two things are going to happen and it's up to us to to decide. 
and <laughs> there's one that that makes a lot more sense for us that's going to be a lot more um a lot more efficient and is going to help us in the long run and there's one that's going to be very very problematic if uh if we continue to to sit around and and not do anything about it so Connor man thank you so much for for doing what you're doing and so before we get into the rapid fire portion really quick i want to I want to allow the listeners to to hear about what you're doing and where they can go to follow your journey. So if, if people want to find out more about you and, and this Hike the Divide movement, where can they go to find out the information and, and see the stories that you're posting? All right. So your best bet is definitely uh, my website, hikethedivide.com. Um, that's where you'll find the video that explains the project. That's where my blog is hosted. Um you know, I'm Hike the Divide on social media, at Hike the Divide um, on Instagram and Twitter. And then, you know, if you start, if you search Hike the Divide on Facebook, you'll find my updates there as well. Um, I'm currently in conversation with a few other publishing platforms to circulate my content, but your best bet will definitely be just to go to the source. Um, that's where you'll find the most as well. I'll have posts about, you know, literally just about hiking. You know, maybe I'll have a beautiful section that I'm recapping. I'll have interviews and video profiles of community campaigns that serve as positive examples of people taking community-driven action, you know, grassroots advocacy. And um, I'll be having lots of written pieces, all of the content hosted on my website, hikethedivide.com. I'll be taking off on in the uh, late June of this year, and I'll be hiking through about November, and I'll be publishing content that whole time and afterward. All right, awesome. We will we will be sure to to post that on all of our stuff, and we'll we'll be keeping all of our listeners updated as well. All right, so Connor, let's get into it. When you think of success, who is the first person that comes to mind, and why? Oh, um, a few people who come to mind, but since we're in this sort of avenue of thought already. Um, I would say, I'm going to say two because it's for the same reason. Um, interestingly enough, Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Ruffalo, because oh. both of these guys have had success in their acting careers, doing what they love, to be sure. But both of them are using their fame and success as a platform um, to access a hugely broad audience to champion the cause they're most passionate about, which is climate change. You've got Ruffalo, like you know, out on the streets, marching with the rest of the impassioned folk when push comes to shove. He's co-founded the Solutions Project, which devised plans for all 50 states and many countries abroad to transition to 100% clean energy. Um, you've got Leonardo DiCaprio, who, of course, is making, like, you know, inspiring speeches when he gets the podium at yep. award shows about climate change. But, you know, he's not just talk. He produced... Uh, a documentary called Cowspiracy that unveils a lot of the problems with the animal agriculture industry and its effects on the planets. He has his own foundation that he uses to fund scientific research. And he's got a bunch of media projects that incorporate voices like John Kerry and Pope Francis to talk about climate action. Um, so and I see that like alignment of passion and purpose as like the epitome of success. Yeah, man, I, I totally agree with you. Those are fantastic answers. And so what one book would you recommend or what one book do you gift the most? Um, that's a book called This Changes Everything by Naomi Klein. Uh, um, there's a chapter of her book called Blockadia that actually really 
built my foundational belief that it's the positive narrative that needs to be the one shared. She talks about, you know, the it's basically the human face of climate change. She talks about, about you know, the efforts all around the world. It's truly inspiring, very well researched, well written. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and for those of you listening, we're going to be linking to all these things that Connor's talking about in our show notes. So don't worry, you are going to get direct access to all this stuff. Uh, so Connor, do you have a podcast or an online resource, like maybe a YouTube channel or something like that, that you, that you refer to often or that you recommend to other people? Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really, really love the selected shorts podcast. And, uh, what that is, is like a short fiction read by stage and screen actors in symphony space in new york city and you know so it takes i feel like not enough people are reading these days at least not fiction and uh you know we can learn so much about ourselves through um like written fiction and the actors really give the stories life and it's uh really beautiful that's awesome. I, I've I've yet to to hear of that. I'm definitely going to check that out after after we're done. I'm I'm excited because I do. You know, it's one of the things that that we talk about in the group a lot. Is you know, we we love personal development, and I do read a lot of spiritual books, but I also go back to a lot of fiction books because I think it does just it, it takes on a whole new life, and and you get to take the characters and and learn from them, and like you just hit on you, you ultimately end up learning about yourself through these characters, and I think. That is an area where people can can utilize these things that we sometimes perceive as uh, you know not pushing us forward, whether it be you know financially or you know um, whether in, in your job or whatever that looks like. But in reality, these things really do open up a lot of different avenues. So thank you for sharing that. And Connor, if you had to pick one part of your daily routine to do for the rest of your life, if you couldn't do any other parts of your routine, what would that one part be? Um, probably stretching, uh, which is nude for me. Uh, after the PCT, I picked up stretching every day <laughs> and I stand by that a hundred percent. It's pretty yeah. meditative too. You can double up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a perfect way to go about it. All right. So Connor, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. We, we always end the show with our guests sharing one of their favorite quotes. So what is a quote that you'd like to share with us today? I'm no good at picking favorites, but I'm going to stick with the theme here and uh, give you a quote from an Indian author named Arundhati Roy. She's the author of a book called The God of Small Things. And she said, uh, if there's any hope for the world at all, it does not live in climate change conference rooms or in cities with tall buildings. It lives low down on the ground with its arms around the people who go to battle every day to protect their forests, their mountains, their rivers because they know that the forests, the mountains, and the rivers protect them. There it is. What a fantastic way to end the show. Connor, man, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. If you guys enjoyed that episode, please let us know. Find us at Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. We're going to be at Yield Mastermind on all those platforms. Check out our website, yieldmastermind.com. You can find us on 
iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those platforms. Please reach out to us. Let us know if you like the show. Let us know if you're loving the content. Please write us a review on iTunes if you feel the desire to. We really appreciate hearing from our audience and really understanding if you guys are loving what you're hearing or if you guys would like to hear something totally different. We're always open to that stuff. Thanks for listening. We hope you are enjoying this show as much as we are, and we can't wait for you guys to tune in next time.